As you know, we've been going through the book of 2 Corinthians, and uh, we took a look last time at the first half of chapter 8, thinking about the, uh, uh, the, the, the source of our giving, if you will. Um, the immediate context has to do with, with giving, as Paul is thinking about a particular gift that is being collected for the poor in Jerusalem. And he encouraged them, as you recall, in that first half of chapter 8, uh, to just be excellent in everything, to, to have an overflowing of grace, an overflowing of goodness. Oh, I'm forgetting, my, I'm forgetting to start the recording. I'm just being reminded. Right there. Oh, yeah, yeah, please do that if you haven't done so already. All right, so uh, in the second, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the first half is looking at uh, the source of giving, the source of, you know, what, we have been given so much, and therefore, having received grace, to have an overflowing of grace. And, and, and not only just in the area of giving, but in every other area that was stressed there, uh, that uh, just as uh, they were commended, the Corinthians were commended for excelling or overflowing in, uh, in every aspect of life, uh, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in diligence, in, in love for the Apostle Paul. That was verse 7. So here's this overflowing grace. Now, he, he switches his thought to talking a little bit more about this collection that's taken up for the Judean saints. But even in that, again, he's not so much talking about the gift and what the gift consists of or that sort of thing. He's going to speak a little bit more to the nature of the gift and, and his disposition in chapter 9. So we'll be getting to, to that, uh, God willing, next week. But here he's talking about, all right, now as, as, as the funds are coming together, what are we going to do with them, and how are we going to get them there? And it seems like almost an intrusion into his discussion about grace and all of that. He starts talking about logistics. And yet, in this discussion of logistics from chapter 8, beginning of verse 16 on to the end, there's some, there's some things here that are applicable to us, not just when it comes to giving, but in every part of our walk as believers. So we're going to take a look at this. And I want you to notice as we go through, uh, perhaps uh, some of the statements that are made, why I chose the the, uh, the title for this sermon to be blameless integrity, blameless integrity. So, with that uh, bit of an introduction and, and review of last week, let's take uh, our Bibles, please. If you're uh, not already there, turn to Second Corinthians chapter eight. And stand with me, please, as you're able for the reading of God's holy word. Again, I'll begin at verse 16. Now remember, he's just said, as it's written, he who's gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. In other words, that God would abundantly supply all of their needs as they poured out uh, to uh, the benefit of others. In verse 16, he says, But thanks be to God, 
who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. And that is, he's Paul speaking of his own, the earnest care that Paul had. Um, Titus shares that. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who also was chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift, which is administered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brother brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of your boasting and of our boasting on your behalf. God adds his blessing to the reading of his word. Please do be seated. You may have noticed I'm reading in a slightly different translation. I'm reading out of the New King James uh, Version this morning. Um, Just to, uh, many of you have the ESV or uh, something else out there, just to give a a little fuller uh, understanding of what Paul is saying here. Uh, the ES, I like the ESV's uh, work through this chapter and this section, but uh, I like New King James too, so I thought I'd go ahead and read out of it today. Now, many ministries have been and are currently being destroyed by uh, a lack of financial integrity or a lack of integrity in other areas as well. Finances is a big one. I was doing, I just did a quick search online about ministries that have been ruined by financial hanky-panky, and there's a whole bunch of them. Some of them because of just the nature of their teaching. One of the prime ones was a guy named Robert Tilton. Some of you may have heard of Robert Tilton, a heretic, okay? But a very prominent televangelist TV ministry and totally destroyed his ministry in God's providence, thank you. Uh, but nonetheless, um, this, of course, the problem with sin is it makes you stupid. Um, he uh, was plea, uh, sent out, please, if you send money, we'll, we'll pray over your prayer requests and the Lord will bless you and so on. And uh, they, he was destroyed when video evidence came out that they were throwing the prayer requests out after keeping the money. And, of course, not doing anything but just trying to line their pockets. That kind of stuff gets done all the time. Um, it never used to be you had to think about this sort of thing. But you know, even in our, in our churches and in our mission boards and so on, we run financial checks on people that come uh, to be a minister or to be a missionary. Because people can hide stuff. And if we find out something, you know... Uh, We've had a couple of occasions that prompted that, where somebody came up. They they're basically were looking for a position, and they lied about why they got left, why they lost the last one, because of some embezzlement or some questionable activities. It, it just happens all the time in this fallen world, and and yet more is damaged than people's bank accounts. More is bit damaged than 
even having a ministry that's effective. The very testimony of Christ's power to redeem somebody from sin and to change them from darkness, bring them out of darkness into light, that power of Christ, while is not diminished, it is certainly called into question, and it gives cause to the wicked to blaspheme. Not to mention the damage that it does to our own hearts when we are the perpetrators of that. And so, if we're going to prevent that, I would submit to you that preventing that kind of travesty in our lives or in the lives of our church takes more than just wishful thinking. Hope that it's not going to happen. Particularly in the ESV, there's a word that keeps cropping up through here, and you may have noticed it if you're reading the ESV. Uh, New King James has a couple of different ones. Uh, Diligent is the uh, one in New King James. But it's translating the same word that means diligent or zealous. Uh, ESV translates it as earnest, being earnest. And this has to do with integrity. But an integrity that is brought about by an earnestness or a zeal to do things the proper way. Because integrity in the Lord's service requires fervent intention. Integrity requires intention. Can we all relate to the idea or the understanding or the experience within our own lives that that, um, there were times when we really blew it because we didn't think first in spite of our... our, uh, wishful thinking and hoping that all would turn out. We just kind of did stuff and then realized that we hurt someone uh, or did some damage in some other way. Yeah, generally when that happens, we stop and we think, oh, maybe I'll think through this a little bit more. Maybe I'll plan a little bit more, be a little more intentional about the way I go about this, that, or the other activity. So you say, well, okay, pastors, what what does all that have to do with this? How does this fit in with what Paul is been talking about with this overflowing of grace. Well, think about this for a minute. Um, Overflowing grace in service towards others has kind of an understanding of, of, of strong emotional ties and a desire to, you know, to really, having experienced joy, we want to see that joy. Having experienced grace, we want to see that grace. Having experienced hope, we want to see that hope in others. Right, and if there, if ever there is a, a a situation where the desire for for feel good uh, is strong, it's when you're coming out a blessing and you just want somebody else to experience that blessing. You just want to serve this way, and you're zealous that way, but maybe not stopping to think about okay. Maybe I haven't prepared enough. Maybe I haven't done this. Maybe I've done that. Maybe I need to do this before I'm ready to go um, serve the Lord in some other way. So, while it seems like kind of as parentheses that, not sure how it's connected here, he starts talking about all these different guys that he's gathered together to help him administer this gift. And as I was looking at this, I started to notice a similarity, and yet with a couple of little... uh, uh, uniquenesses, uh, uh, unique points about each of the the men who are mentioned in this section. 
and really came to understand that what Paul is doing is, in, in the big picture, very simply, saying, we've been given a lot of money, and it needs to get there safely, and here are the guys who are going to help do that. But along the way, as he justifies his decision of those guys, he is describing characteristics of those who are truly trustworthy. And there are some th- earnestness being one that is a constant through all of, with all of them. But they all have their own uh, unique points as well. So we're going to look at this in relationship to the, the men who are mentioned here and, and, and understand what fervent intention should look like, what characteristics we should have in order to be trustworthy servants and, and stewards of the things that God gives us to, to serve with on behalf of others, whether it's our talents, our abilities, our, our funds, our time, whatever it might be. All right. So we're not just talking, though the focus here, of course, is on a money situation, an offering situation. Uh, and it's a, it's a perfect example, but uh, it, it has broader application than that. It really has to do with how we use the, thing God's, the things that God gives to us to be a blessing and benefit to others. You might remember in the last section uh, and also in chapter 7, the whole discussion about being a benefit and looking for the benefit. Well, you know, we want to be a benefit. We don't want to cause harm. And one of the ways that that happens is by making sure <clears throat> that we walk in integrity, uh, a fervent, blame, uh, blameless integrity before the church and before the world. So we're going to begin with looking at Titus. So Paul says, thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. And again, this is the earnest care that Paul has been talking about that he has for them, the love that he has for them, uh, the sacrificial service that he has done. He says, Titus has the same care. So we're going to talk about, uh, to begin with, fervent intention um, is, is going to be shown, uh, is going to be in showing your love. That's, that's, that's one of the driving forces of your intentions is love for others. And as you look at the description regarding Titus, even though Paul is not saying, now let me tell you all about Titus and all of his characteristics, the little bit that he does say about Titus here reveals some things about Paul's opinion about Titus and why Titus is a perfect choice to accompany these funds, a large, significant amount of money um, from uh, the Greek world, from, from Greece all the way down to Judea and Jerusalem. Uh, a, a journey that is not would not be easy, would be fraught with dangers, it would be very easy to lose that money, or if someone was uh, disreputable, just simply disappear with it. And no one would ever find you. Why is Titus a good choice? Well, first of all, uh, in, he, he's, in addition to being earnest or being diligent, Remember, it says he's not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own account or his own accord. Uh, the same earnest care. Uh, we're going to start off by looking at the, the empathetic love. Titus had a real sense of empathy for the Corinthian church, and he, and he joined with Paul in that desire for their well-being, their desire for their reclamation. He was as passionate, Paul is saying, about the Corinthians and their walk with God 
as Paul himself was. Titus was not a guy that just said, yeah, I love you, but stood off at a distance. He demonstrated it by his willingness to serve them, just as Paul did. That empathetic love uh, is something that, uh, I'm going to use a term here that's going to sound maybe a bit uh, shocking that I would actually say this, but I think you will all have to acknowledge that there's an element of truth here. Empathetic love, godly, righteous, sacrificial, empathetic love is draining. Is it not? Now, I don't mean that as a criticism of it or to suggest that you don't practice it. But I think as we recognize that, yeah, it because of the sacrifice that's involved, because of the time that's involved, because of the energy that's involved, because of the intention that is involved, as we look at others and see what they need, it drains you. Which is one of the reasons why people don't do it very much. Why it's so hard. It's easy to do, you know, just throw gifts at things and people. It's harder to devote yourself. And sometimes you're just so tired, you just don't want to do it anymore. Anybody ever felt that way? And yet that's the kind of love that is, is part of being fervently intentional, earnest in your service for Christ and that will help you to stay, um, or help, to help you to practice what you do and do what you do with integrity. Because if you're just in it for your own comforts and just, you know, the feel-good stuff, but you're not willing to pay the cost, then you'll do whatever it takes so you can maintain your feel-good rather than the sacrifice. So empathetic love. Titus had that empathetic love. And notice verse 17, that he was all the more diligent. He not only just said, okay, uh, Paul wants me to go this. Okay, fine, great. (laughs) Yeah, it'll be good for him. (laughs) Uh, Sure happy about that. No, Paul says even more earnest, more diligent, he went of his own account. Several of you, as I look around here, um, are in leadership positions in one way or the other. Uh, Just start with parents, for one thing, but some of you um, as teachers or administrators, fire chiefs, uh, whatever it might be. Um, Which would you prefer to have, an employee or a volunteer who says, what can be done? Where, what, what, what kind of thing can, uh, can I do for you today? What, what needs to be done that I can do? Or the guy who goes, uh, let me see where I can go find a corner where nobody will talk to me or nobody will, will find me out so I go do whatever I want to do. Which kind of volunteer or employee would you rather have? This is kind of a no-brainer question, isn't it? And even worse is the one where you, you have to go and pester them all the time, whether it's your children or your employee or the volunteer. Can you do it? Can you do it? Can you do it? Can you do it? And after a while, you just want to go. Uh, there's the door. You don't do it with your children, but employees and, employee, employees and volunteers sometimes uh, you do, especially employees, because they're getting paid to do this stuff, but they take no initiative for anything. If, if between those two types of people... Which one would you say had the most integrity and the most trustworthiness? The one who by their own initiative goes out and looks for things to do to help, you know, for the good of the order? Or, uh, 
or someone who you have to drag kicking and screaming into doing stuff? Well, I'd rather have the first one, wouldn't you? Titus's love was not just empathetic with Paul's and, you know, really feel for these folks. He was self-motivated. His love was self-motivated. He didn't, in a, in a very real, I mean, real uh, respect, of, he didn't need Paul to tell him to do this. Paul exhorted him and encouraged him to do this, but Titus was motivated on his own. In, in a sense, Paul's exhortation was more about just saying, hey, let me inform you about the need. And Titus was like, I'm on it. I can do that. I'll serve. And he was motivated. He didn't have to have anybody kicking him in the backside to get him going. Uh, that's trustworthiness, and that's part of what it means to walk with integrity. Along with the same thing, uh, same kind of thought uh, towards the end of this section, in verse 23, if anyone inquires about Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker concerning you. We'll take a look at that for just a second. Partner and fellow worker. Uh, this speaks, the, uh, the I'm gonna, we're going to talk about the partner thing in a minute. I'm focusing on the fellow worker aspect. Titus was not afraid to get his hands dirty to get into the trenches with the Corinthians, with the people that he served. His love truly was an agape love that was selfless. Self-motivated and selfless. He was not there... Uh, to look at himself as the big cheese and the one who should get all the accolades. He was just right there, arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, doing the work with Paul and with the Corinthian church. His love was selfless. Um, and then when you look at, again, at verse 17 and verse 23, you put those two things together, there's a couple of thoughts that are there. Um, it, he accepted the exhortation of Paul, but then... What does Paul say about him? He's my fellow worker. He's, he's my partner. In other words, Titus was not there to be seen and heard as the one to get all the accolades as, and all of that. He was a team player. And when you look at some of these, the other guys that are mentioned here, uh, though the other two are not named, um, you see that same aspect in them. Team players. They, they're, in the, I'm calling this multiplied love. You know, with a, there's a lot that we can do um, for one another. But when we, when we all come together and we do, do the same thing together, working together, whether it's prayer, whether it's giving, whether it's service, many hands makes for light work. Right? The, the, the love and the effort and all of that gets multiplied because we're working together without a sense of me first. And when that happens, then the intentionality that we have in serving the Lord just gets magnified and marvelous things can be done. So Titus, I mean, there are other things you could say about Titus, but Titus in this particular section really uh, is intentional and is worthy of, of being, and is trustworthy for this incredible task that is before him, because of the love that he has for the Corinthians, for the Judean believers, as well as for Paul. So 
Titus is a great example of fervent intention in love. Now, verse 18 speaks about another brother. Now, it's really interesting. Um, Steve and I were talking about this through the week. A lot of times when I'm doing my sermon preparations, I'll, I'll call him in my office and I'll go, hey, look at this. What do you think? And, I'm help him, you know, and uh, we walk through a passage together. So we'll think about this, think about that. And then he goes and starts studying and I'm interrupting his studies because I'm having, derailing him on uh, stuff that I'm working on. Uh, but uh, helping him, hopefully, uh, as he thinks through his own preparations. But we were looking at this and trying to figure out exactly how many people we're talking about. There's a lot of discussion in commentaries and so on about who these brothers are. And some people, uh, many, think that Luke is the one who's in view here. Um, I don't think so, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But uh, I think Luke's the second one. If you're not careful, you can think he's just talking about the same guy, but he's not. He's talking about two different unnamed brothers here. Verse 18 is the first one. We have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered to us by the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. So, what is meant by praises in the gospel? I think the ESV brings it out very well. Basically, he's known for his preaching. He's known for his ministry of the word among the churches. He has a reputation of being one who speaks God's truth. And that's the particular uh, aspect of intentionality that I want to point out here uh, of this first brother. Fervent intention in proclaiming God's truth. Now, not everyone is going to be a preacher. Not everyone's called to that. Uh, not everyone uh, is, I'm talking about formally, right? But um, all of us in our various spheres and places have opportunity to speak God's truth, whether as a citizen, whether as a parent, whether as a companion, a friend, a colleague, whatever it might be. I mean, the bottom line is, look, if we're not talking, if we're not speaking the truth, what kind of integrity do we have? This second guy, uh, um, and I believe this was Apollos. The timeline works out well. Apollos was known as a preacher of the gospel, a fervent, able preacher of the gospel, defender of the faith, uh, someone who would be uh, well known as, by reputation throughout the churches as someone who was trustworthy because he spoke the truth. And there's some interesting things. It, you, you don't have to turn there, but in Acts chapter 18, Apollos is described. He comes to Ephesus. What does he do? He starts preaching. And he doesn't know the whole story. And Aquila and Priscilla take him aside and train him, teach him up. And the word there is they systematically taught him. Um, he, got a, he got a crash seminary course on who Jesus Christ really is. And once Paul, Apollos realized uh, the fullness of the gospel in Jesus Christ, he was all over it, took what Aquila and Priscilla taught him, uh, made it his own, and went out and preached ably, and defended the gospel in the synagogues and in the streets and so on. What I think, and he's described there in Acts 18 as a person who is fervent and earnest, the same word, diligent. He's very gifted, he's fervent, he's bold, but there's something else about him as he is proclaiming God's truth that's seen there in Acts chapter uh, uh, 18. And that is that he was humble. He was receptive to the teaching that came his way from 
experienced believers who knew more about Christ than he did. He didn't stand up and go, well, I'm the great preacher. You just need to go mind your own business. Right? No, he listened to the, the fullness of the gospel and was transformed by it as he humbly received it. So integrity it comes about by, yes, showing love, but also in making sure that you're proclaiming the truth. You're going to show your integrity that way and being intentional about it. How are you going to be intentional in speaking the truth? There's a verse in uh, a statement that Paul makes to Timothy that tells you how you're intentional about speaking the truth. It starts off with a word that nobody likes, particularly people who are in school. I heard somebody whisper it. What's the word? Study. Study to show yourself approved under God, a workman that rightly handles the word of truth. How are, you going to, how are you going to faithfully proclaim God's word? Well, it's not going to happen by sticking a Bible under your pillow at night and hoping osmosis crams it in there. You're going to have to study. You're going to have to learn. Be intentional about it so that you can speak truth into every situation of whatever you're entrusted with, whether it's a church office, whether it's um, uh, the, uh, a care for, care for someone who's shut in, whether it's uh, your parenting skills, whether it's your work situation, or uh, if you're uh, in charge of money somewhere, whether you're in charge of that. Well, to be known as one who speaks truth and who one who can learn and still speak the truth, uh, that's a mark of someone who has integrity in the Lord's service. So I think it's probably Apollos, uh, but... Uh, at the end of the day, a couple of care, a couple of the commentators made the point: is like it's not they're not named, and at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. What matters is the what's exhibited by them and faithfulness in speaking the truth and uh, doing so in a way that. But you also notice that he's one who's commissioned by the churches. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a moment. Uh, but I'm not passing. Well, yeah, really in a moment because going on to the next the next characteristic of fervent intention is that of fulfilling your duties. Now, I'm calling uh, uh, the the guy in verse 18, brother number one, (laughs) all right? Uh, And then, uh, let's see, when we get down to verse 22, we have sent with them, that would be Titus and brother number one, our brother whom we have often proved diligent. So there's brother number two. So we have brother number one, brother number two. And there's... There's some things that are, are, are said about these guys that, uh, uh, that help us understand integrity in a very practical way. And in fact, I'd say when we think about integrity, this is the area that we often probably go to more often than not. And that is, we think of they've been given a duty and they fulfill it. We, a lot of times that's all the further we go when we talk about integrity, but it, uh, and so that's incomplete, but it is true. And these men were given duties, both here in this particular case, but also before. And they are, they've sought to fulfill them. <clears throat> now, you look at verse um, 19, and we see that the brother number one was chosen by the churches to travel with Paul. 
So Paul, and then in verse 23, um, take a look here. Uh, uh, the second half of uh, verse 23, or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches. Uh, interesting thought there. We're going to talk about that word messengers in a moment. But these men have been given specific duties. They can point to, uh, somebody could point to them, if anybody asks, here's a specific thing they've been given to do. They've been given a commission. They are, uh, they are those that um, have, been, have been told what to do and they are like, okay, this is what we're doing. Specific tasks, specific assignments. But they also have broad duties. In verse 22, really focusing on brother number two there, a guy who has proved diligent in many matters, not even necessarily related, not necessarily related to this, but in the past, just broad duties, specific duties and broad duties. Whatever was necessary, that brother number two was known for being earnest and diligent in carrying those things out, intentional about fulfilling all that was in front of them. And, and again, motivated because of uh, the confidence that they had in the Corinthian church. So these, they, were, they fulfilled their duty. Both of these guys set aside, chosen by the churches. What does that tell you? It thinks about a commission, particularly when you look at the word messenger. And the word messenger is one that, if I say it in Greek, you will all know immediately what it is and what it means. It is the Greek word apostolos. And normally we think of apostles as being, you know, the 12, right? But here this is being used in a more of a general sense of one who is sent to accomplish a certain perfect, uh, purpose. And these men were well aware. They, they were all team players. They were those that said, yeah, we've been given duties to do. And we recognize that there is authority because of the church sending us out that we're to do them and we, by God's grace, will fulfill them. Part of this integrity is, what I'm getting at, is that it, it, there's a recognition that you're not a lone ranger, but you are operating on the basis of of the authority that is over you. Do you remember when Jesus um, had that conversation with the centurion whose daughter was dying and he begged Jesus to heal his daughter and in that exchange, the man said, I also, I walk under authority. I say to this man, you go here, this man, you go here. Basically, he was saying to Jesus, I'm under your authority. Whatever you say, I'll do. I understand how that works. And Jesus said, I haven't seen faith like this anywhere in Israel. It's kind of an odd way it's phrased there, way, the way it's laid out in the story. You go, how does that show faith? It shows that, he, that that centurion knew how to walk under authority and, and operate with integrity within the bounds of what he'd been assigned to do. And Paul here is describing these guys who have the same kind of faith, the same kind of integrity. They've been given a task. They will do it. They're proven in doing it. And particularly, you look at verse, uh, well, let me, let me move on to point number four here. Really, these are two ways I could have combined points three and four. I'll take them together. Here are these guys who are sent out as messengers of the churches. But the churches did not send them out as, you know, kind of, 
trying to mentor them or think that they were, this would be good, this would be good training ground for them. These guys were not novices. They were known for their dependability. They'd been down the road and they'd come back again and they had come back with their, their name and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ intact. They were dependable. And they took, and, and there seems to really be implied here in it, a, a great intentionality on their part to do those things and to be dependable wherever they were needed. Brother number two, definitely not a novice. He's, he was dependable in every situation. He was dependable in many matters, not just the ones that were convenient for him. It's easy for us to be dependable when it's easy. It's not so easy to be dependable when things get hard and you get opposition. Now, here, I think if either of these brothers might be Luke, who we know traveled with Paul, um, this second brother could very possibly be Luke. To me, it fits the profile of Luke who was there with Paul through thick and thin and showed himself dependable. Unlike a guy like John Mark, who, right, remember, who was dependable until it got hard and then he cut and run. He cut, anyway. That English was very bad in grammar. Anyway, he left uh, when things got difficult. To fulfill your duty and to be dependable in it, in every circumstance, is, is a, a true mark of, of integrity. But again, it doesn't happen just because you hope it will. It takes a fervent intentionality, a diligence, an earnest, earnestness about it. If you wish to be trustworthy and noted as such, you're, to have blameless integrity, this dependably fulfilling your duties without being, uh, you know, having to be whipped into doing it, uh, is, a, is a great mark of that integrity. And then finally, we're going to take a look at the Apostle Paul himself. And we see this in the heart of this passage. I, I do believe this passage is loosely chiastic, and if you see Titus at the beginning of it and the end of it, and the brother at the beginning and the brother at the end, and so on, and it works towards the, uh, the Apostle Paul speaking about his motivation and why he's going about doing things this way. You know, we're not told about the. Uh, we, we're not told anything about this offering except that it was a big one. You know, I, they didn't really have uh, checkbooks in those days, so presumably there was gold involved or coinage of some kind, um, some other some other means of transporting wealth back and forth. Um, you know, Think about why Paul chose three other guys besides himself to administer this gift. And who knows what other attendants and so on they might have hired or whatever else to help carry things or whatever. We're not told anything about that. But there were four men who Titus named, Paul named, and two unnamed brothers who were going along to make sure that this gift got where it was supposed to go intact. Paul says in verse 20, um, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is ministered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Now, 
Paul is not patting himself on the back here. He's really describing his motivation as to why he's going about doing this, the, the way he's doing it. And really, uh, part of his integrity uh, and part of your integrity is the guarding of your reputation, the protection of your name. Now, I think all of us are familiar with the verse, you know, a good name is more precious than gold, right? I mean, it's something that uh, is, to be, is to be guarded. Why? So that we can be proud of ourselves, that we've got a good name? No, it's because it impacts every single transaction we do in life, is, does it not? Even in our high-tech age and all of that, as sophisticated as we are about so many other things, what it really comes down to is, does a person trust you or not? And if they don't, you can do everything else right. You can have all kinds of things to offer that everybody, if they would just recognize how wonderful you were, they would just eat it up. But you know what? At the end of the day, if they don't trust you, it doesn't matter what else you have. It doesn't matter what else you say. It doesn't matter what else you do. And Paul knows that not only does this impact his own name and his own ability to function as an apostle, it also impacts how people view Jesus Christ. And that is why he speaks to this not just being a matter of before men, but primarily it's a, the integrity is before God. So Paul says, I am going to avoid any appearance of evil that someone would be able to say, Paul is skimming off the pot. Paul is saying this is for the poor, but really he's looking out for himself. And, you know, we, we know we gave X amount of, of, of money here, but only this amount got to Jerusalem. And, but Paul says, well, uh, I don't know. I was robbed on the road or something, you know. They got away with some of it. And, you know, Paul has taken no chances. He wants witnesses. Could Paul have easily said, I am a man of integrity. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to do anything here to prevent this from getting, getting there. And it could have actually even gone all the way there without incident, only with the Apostle Paul. Paul, because Paul's not going to steal. He knows that. We know that. But did Paul have anybody that called him into question ever? <laughs> All the time. And Paul's very much aware of that. He's like, I'm not going to give an occasion for the gossips. I'm not going to give an, uh, any sort of excuse to anybody to call my integrity into question. So I'm having these other guys come. <laughs> guys that everybody knows. They're well known for their fervency, for their diligence, for their love, for their dependability, for the truth that they proclaim. Those things were there. So think about Paul's reputation here. A reputation for honesty. Beloved, you should desire this reputation. The people know you to be a person of your word. A reputation for seriousness. The fact that he says, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift, which is being administered by us. Paul's well aware of how serious this is. He's not just taking pocket change. He's well aware of the enormity of what he is doing. Um, 
earlier, Kelly was looking for some books by Spurgeon in our library. And you know, one of the things this is prompted what came to mind thinking about that. One of the things that uh, was characteristic of Spurgeon, particularly in his um, early ministry, was he, when he went up to the pulpit, would feel physically ill pretty much every time for quite a while. And, and when he talked about that, it was just, he was so uh, aware of the enormity of handling God's word rightly and the responsibility that was there. It, it scared, scared the daylights out of him. I think over the course of his ministry, he came to cr- trust in, in the, the spirit of God. I don't, I don't think of so much about Spurgeon not wanting to look foolish or look bad. He didn't want to mishandle God's word and took that very, very seriously. That reputation Paul shared and Paul demonstrated very ably as he was serious about the things of the Lord. Uh, And then a reputation for accountability, honorable things um, in, in the administration of it. Paul, just like the the other three guys uh, was entrusted with this responsibility. And he wanted to share that, that uh, duty and that accountability with others. Not only was Paul accountable to the churches around uh, the Mediterranean world, but in a very real immediate way, he made himself accountable to those other three men. So that his actions were an open book to them, just as theirs were to him. So that all of them uh, would be protecting their reputations, their names, uh, before those who, boy, when it comes to money, are there ever occasions in, in dealing with money that you can be falsely accused about things? That's why in our offerings, we absolutely trust our, our treasurer and bookkeeper. Absolutely do. Um, he still has someone there to count the money when he counts it. That's why I don't touch the money. Um, the only time I will ever help is if there's nobody else that can count once, once or twice a year, I might help him count with him standing there. But I don't touch it. I don't, I don't know who gives what, and I, I don't want to even go there. I don't sign checks. <laughs> I don't do any of that. Uh, and this is why. Entrust it to other people who are faithful so that there can be no cause for blame. And, you know, that kind of diligence we need to have in every area of our lives, not just money. And notice the final reputation here, uh, aspect of our reputation, is that these, uh, these honorable things uh, that are being done are, not, uh, are both in the sight of the Lord and in the sight of men. So a reputation for godliness. The word honorable, doing honorable things, providing honorable things, is, uh, there's a little, uh, it's not so much wordplay right in the phrase itself, but in Greek there's a word for good and there's a word for evil. The word for good is kalos, the word for evil is kakos, just changing one letter. And the word here is kalos, it has to do with something that is excellent or that passes the test. It's not just talking about something that's morally good. It's talking about something that stands up to scrutiny and thus is excellent. I had a professor in college 
Dr. Ed Pinozian, incredible uh, uh, godly man. He used to have a phrase that he, he would say often. Uh, he taught history of civilization and many other history courses, church history courses. Great guy. But he used to say, what is good is godly, and what is godly is good. When we're doing honorable things before the Lord, we're doing godly things. Things that are good, that pass his test, according to his criteria. Uh, the, think about your actions, beloved. Think about your words. Do they pass the God test? Are they excellent in, in God's, by God's criteria? That's an element of your integrity as well. The opposite uh, word having to do with evil means that it fails. It fails God's test. And it's the opposite of excellent. It's despicable and despised. But Paul says, um, I brought men together. We have a team here that is striving to provide and do what for and do what is godly um, and right according to God's standards. That's how you'll protect your reputation if you do those things. And uh, all of these elements come together to create a blameless integrity. And just having grace and love in your heart, as we spoke about earlier, is not enough to maintain your integrity before God and men. Satan knows how easy it is to gain a foothold, a foothold of greed in the hearts of people. And um, people who start off meaning well in their service, and he knows how to exploit that foothold uh, when we get a little careless about our testimony, when we get careless about our integrity. Again, integrity in the Lord's service requires fervent intention. So pray that the Lord will keep your heart in your personal service and in your corporate service for the Lord so that all that you do will truly provide honorable things for the benefit of God's people and the glory of our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this portion that, where we see these examples of, of men who are counted as trustworthy because of their character, shown in their love, in, in their knowledge and declaration of the truth, in their, their faithfulness to duty and uh, to the point of ultimate dependability so that they had names that when, when spoken, and even those who described by their actions, the Corinthian church knew who they were. They didn't even have to have their name said because their actions spoke so much louder than anything that they could say. Lord, let our hearts and lives demonstrate this kind of blameless integrity as we intentionally walk in love and righteousness and dependability by your grace in your presence and in the sight of men. We pray these things for the sake of our Savior, the Lord.